Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Digital Grocer Season 4, Episode 6. Uh, as you can tell, I'm wearing this really kind of funky hat. Uh, it is the holidays, and I'm your host, Sylvain Perrier, President and CEO of Mercatus Technologies. Uh, and as always, uh, joining me in the middle of this pandemic from the... Uh, safety of his bunker and his toasty fire and his Christmas tree, as you can tell, is Mark Fairhurst, our VP of Marketing. And Mark, welcome to the show. Merry Christmas, Sylvanta. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, I'm going to have to take this off, I'm sure, at some point during, <laughs> during the show. You're going to sweat? You're I'm going to sweat. Fire. And, you know, you would think it'd be fine because I don't have any hair. I'm, I am much like you. I've not been uh, blessed with a uh, the longevity of some with hair. Oh no, this this is just a lifestyle choice for me. Oh, it is. <laughs> you could. That's perfect. I wouldn't have wouldn't have known. That's amazing. And so, Mark, there's a lot of stuff happening uh, in the industry. Um, even in the last few weeks, you know, there was the the nor'easter that hit um, the Boston area, Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. and parts parts of North Carolina and South Carolina, as far as far north as I know as, as Albany. Um, has been crazy has jumped three to four feet we saw in, in our case uh, and even talking to other e-commerce providers we saw a, a crazy surge in online orders and uh, i gotta tell you um the team over at brick meets click came out with their numbers for mm -hmm. for november we're up to was it 5.2 i believe or much higher 5.3 5.3 yeah a billion yeah. It's not as high as uh, what we saw at the top of the pandemic. But to kind of give a sense of some of those numbers that were reported by uh, David and uh, Bill Bishop, you know, at the height of the pandemic, what we saw was an incredible surge. Uh, I, I say height of the pandemic, but a lot of people will, will think it's that Wednesday night, the March 11th, when um, our 45th president of the United States, uh, President Trump, you know, kind of announced that some of the border was the borders were being closed. They weren't going to allow international flights in, and so on. And it wasn't really. It's like the really the height of the pandemic would have been April, when you saw an, an incredible surge in e-commerce. Now we predicted, and we've had conversations. Mark, you've had conversations with IRI, with Nielsen, asking the validity of how we did our research with Incisive, and and luckily. Yeah. You know the feedback that we're getting from those two large research firms that our our methodology is sound, and so we yeah I, I think yeah, I, I think what's you know we really sort of doubled down on doing uh, you know with the support of our clients a lot of um, very important research try and gauge the size of the you know the on the uptick in terms of uh, e-commerce order volume. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, the, the research has shown that this this is not going to go away after um, you know, the vaccine is distributed. There's there's definitely been a change in behavior as far as um, shoppers go. Yeah, absolutely. And we, and we, aside from our prediction of $250 billion for 2025, we believe that there was going to be a resurgence in terms of online volume. Yep. And not because, not necessarily because of Thanksgiving, not necessarily because of Christmas, that the effectiveness of the deployment of the vaccine 
uh, and its ability to get out there rapidly, some of the states we're going to have to we're going to have to close shop. Now we're living this right now. I am, anyways, in the area I live, north of Toronto. Mark, you're going on lockdown uh, Christmas Eve mm-hmm. in your area. So this is the rest of up the province we live in. We're seeing certain states that are locking down. California is is, is effectively shut down. I suspect it's going to happen in other areas, but who knows at this point, right? But I will tell you that before Thanksgiving, we were already hitting the numbers of April. Right. And throw in Thanksgiving on top of that, we we've surpassed the, we we've surpassed the the height of the pandemic in terms of online sales. Again, my prediction is we're going to hit that number 2025. We're seeing customers that historically have not bought online, buying online not only once, yeah. not just for the sake of convenience, but for the sake of safety. And that's just going to continue. So they're going to buy those that magical number that we talk about when we're having webinars or, 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 or doing a show with, with David and, and Bill, that after four times, you're kind of in into the mix, which is which is great. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, it, and it's, I read something uh, just published, I think, late last week. You know, Dan Humby, you know, everyone's doing research mm. and, um, you know, not knowing the, the, their methodology, but there's saying that there's going to be fewer um, discretionary, smaller discretionary spend on food items in, in the U.S. this holiday. And, you know, to be quite honest, we're, we're, we're just not seeing that. No. No, I would agree. Yeah, we're equally not seeing that, and we're seeing basket size actually uh, go higher, and not yeah. just not just and, and, because of the number of items, but um, certainly they're buying more expensive items. Yeah, and and you know, I think what a lot of people don't realize is that you know we see this in live in real time. I mean, you open up the dashboard um, on our platform, and that's that's actual purchases happening the the, the instant uh, they happen. Right. Right. And, and this is where this gets interesting because, you know, you and I have talked about this and probably the first time we do so on air. I mean, having access to these dashboards is really critical in terms of just planning, you know, what you're going to do from an operational perspective. I think I think uh, my advice to retailers today out there in the industry that actually operate their own e-commerce solution is is to say, hey, this is this is likely going to be your new reality moving forward. So if you're treating this yep. as a as an uh, as a low lying outcast type of uh, of solution that you're doing because you think you need to compete against Walmart and Amazon, my advice is you do need to compete against Walmart and Amazon because they're competing against you, and and so that's the yep. f- first piece of advice. Second one is be mindful of the data that you're seeing because it can predict a trend for you where you're properly planning for your operational processes. And I'm, I'm, we're getting phone calls from non-Mercatus clients that are saying, well, what do I do? What do I need to do? Is it more labor? Is it, is it better technology? Do I throttle the amount of orders that are coming in through, through my site? And it, I think the reality is if you, you have to come up with a plan of attack that you can sustain, but also if you can't sustain it, don't try anything that you, you, that's going to fall apart because you're just going to drive your customers into the hands of the competition. Yep. And I will yep. tell you, okay, just to be really clear, Amazon and Walmart are ready to sustain this. 
and they can scale up and they can scale back. I mean, the, the number of, of Amazon orders being delivered in my neighborhood in, in the last few days is astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. You, you had mentioned you, you hadn't seen FedEx or UPS, but you're seeing those Amazon trucks and, and the nondescript ones who we all know are um, Amazon delivery orders. Oh, absolutely. Those white panel vans that are, that are just pulling yeah. up and you can, you can see that they are when the, you know, I was outside yesterday and I see the, the back doors opened up, they were delivering a parcel at my house and, and the panel van on the back was just jammed. It's just jammed. And it wasn't any, frankly, it wasn't just parcels. It was also food items. You can also sell it. I got a, yeah. a big shout out to the folks over at Sobeys, uh, voila in the, uh, in the GTA here at the greater Toronto area. I was uh, recounting to Mark yesterday in a phone call the amazing service that I got uh, um, last Thursday morning, fairly early in the morning. I think it was around 8 o'clock when my order was was delivered. The gentlemen, you have to assume they're extremely busy. Although, yes, we are seeing record growth in the United States, but I'm assuming it's the same here in Canada, if if not much bigger. Uh so recount. So share what you told me about uh, the experience because it's it's in stark contrast to what you might be getting uh, through uh, you know an Instacart or Shipt or DoorDash. Yeah, it's it's incredibly different. I mean, this is this is what happens when a, a business puts a stake in the ground and basically says, end to end, this is going to be efficient. End to end, we're going to be striving for customer satisfaction, which is which is the polite way in, in the world of loyalty of getting repeat business. Yeah. So sure enough, I'm up early. I'm making a coffee. Phone rings, and the gentleman introduces himself, first name, last name, and he explains who he's here for. You know, you have to you have to appreciate this. He's driving here, right? So I'm I'm sure he's he's being taught you know safety first. So he's not 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 just. <laughs> You know, listening to music and picking up a phone and then talking to it. But he introduces himself and he, he says, I have your order. It's ready. I'll be there in 10 minutes. Here's here's what's not in your order. And you've not been charged for it. We did not substitute it. I have to practice COVID-19 safety protocols. I will bring the bags out to your door. I will ring. I will step back. I will wait for you to come to the door. So so great. I, I think this is amazing because there's no surprises in the last minute of handoff now. Now, so he's given me the opportunity to object to the substitution and quite frankly operationally avoiding him having to pull the bags out. Yeah. Which, which is brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So he comes, orders fine, no issues with the substitutions. I take my bag and come in great. Now they must be now I didn't have such a good experience a few days later, but you know, Mark kind of pointed out for me yesterday when we we're talking about this, hey, listen, you know, like the likelihood they are staffing up really crazy. They're busy. But what I'm and, and what I'm not seeing on the streets now, I am no longer seeing uh the Loblaws delivery vehicles. I'm no longer seeing grocery gateway in in my yeah. neighborhood, which is which is Longos. And I know that some some of those other players in the space uh, outside of Sobeys um, are are basically trying to flood the omni-channel solutions that are out there. So Corner Shop, Instacart, the whatever, just to try to get a piece of the market. And, and I think that, you know, to, to, to take a page out of Okada's book, 
and, and, and Sobeys. Um, and this is part of um, their CEO's uh, strategy, right? Project, Project Sunrise, which is essentially pick the channel, but be really, really good at it. And, 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 if, and, if, and if that's, you know, and, and their investment, it's not a small investment. That first, that first CFC was over $300 million. Um, and with something, you know, it's 392,000 square feet plus the delivery vehicles and the training. So it'll be interesting to see where Sobe takes this next. But, you know, but I, I think, I mean, that's that story. <clears throat> I mean, you, it picks up on a good theme, which is you know, not, not a lot of regional grocers have $300 million to spend on mm. a fully robotic fulfillment center. Uh, but what they can do is, is look at their operations and understand you know, what it would take to deliver the best customer experience possible. Right. And, and differentiate yourself on that experience. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so if we go back to what our research says, right, you, we pick our favorite grocer. We say favorite, but I mean, there's research that just came out here in Canada that says basically the the one the, not the Gen X, not the uh, not the millennials, but Gen Z, mm-hmm. um, Generation Z, as we would say here. But Gen Z really, uh, in terms of um, brand loyalty, it's it's essentially non-existent. And, and so, so if I think of that concept, right, because that's really the the consumers we should be going after the part of the boomers, the millennials, Gen X, Gen Z, and and if you have that that idea, and our research basically says we pick our favorite retailer based on proximity. Right. You're, you're not going to drive cross town to go to go shop your favorite brand. I think, with the exception, like if if you're here, uh, a farm boy just opened up uh, in in the northern part of Newmarket, Ontario, where where I live. Okay, that is that is a brand that I would I would drive out to go try. But the reality would voila by Sobeys. I can order farm boy products online, so I kind of don't really need to go to the store. So if you know, like your customers come to you because of that, then the second thing they come to you for is basically because your pricing, your pricing's good. Right. And and maybe, you know, I have to go to an everyday low price retailer, or maybe I have to go shop the flyer and multiple retailers to be able to, to sustain my household. And it really depends on, you know, the household's economical situation. So if you know that as a retailer, I think what you need to be doing is pick the channel that you're going to control and and less is more quite frankly in the terms of features and functionality but really focus on the quality of service that's where you're going to differentiate against the big machines that can afford the 300 million or 400,000 square foot warehouses and and it's those little extra touches now an example of an extra touch if you're doing like a, if you're a regional retailer doing click and collect Yes, we are trying to, to automate as, as best as possible um, the back and forth for substitutions. And we have some retailers, the personal shoppers love to call. It is a burden, don't get me wrong. But that just doing that, creating that personal relationship between the personal shopper and the customer will keep the customer coming back. The Christmas card in the bank during the holidays the, smart, smart. That's, the, that's the, a nice touch. The thank you note, once a yeah. thank you text, 
the the you know if you're a retailer how many samples can you get from a cpg in the holidays of, of new product it's ridiculous throw some samples in with a personal note yeah that's so easy yep. to do and those are the little things that keep customers wanting to come back right and 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 now we're we're hearing you know my background is in is in uh, research and employee and customer satisfaction and i will t- i will always tell people that the one thing you can do is if you're it's this concept of customer rescue so if you've made a really bad mistake you need to rescue it I'm like I've never believed in customer rescue because if you're in the, in the midst of customer rescue, you've already you've already kind of given up. You need to be ahead of it, and and creating those really personalized moments make a tremendous amount of sense. Yeah, and and you and I have talked about this. It's you know keeping the customers you have. I mean, you know the customer lifetime value and the and the direct contribution it makes to a. A retailer's bottom line uh, over time makes more sense to focus on the relationships you have rather than you know trying to do this trench warfare and in driving for an acquisition of new customers mm. who um, you know it's getting more and more expensive to to uh, to acquire. Well, they say a good cable company it costs them. A hundred, hundred and ten dollars for customer acquisition cost, mm-hmm. and considerably less for customer retention. You know, if they call and they're complaining yep. about something, I, I can't imagine what the co- uh, cost of acquiring customer is in grocery. I got to think it's around yep. the same amount because most retailers, you know, most retailers will tell you that their best customer acquisition tool is their flyer. And, and in, in, a, in a moment of the pandemic, when you can't stock your shelves fast enough and trade dollars are eroding, uh, the dirty little secret of the industry, yeah, trade dollars are eroding because they're going other places where they're more effective. Um, what is the customer acquisition cost? I, I, I don't know. But if I was a grocer, I mean, my focus would be on retention, conversion, basket building. Yep. Yeah. Right. It, it's it sounds like a simple formula, but it's it, it's not. It's comp. It's quite complex, but that it, it requires a retraining of the mind to be able to think this way. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. And um, you know, do you see that as something that's going to materialize as we move out of the pandemic, the latter half of twenty twenty one? If you own, or do you fear retailers are going to revert to? tried and true methods that may not always have been as um, strategic or effective. Yeah, I think I think there's going to be some wholesale changes across the industry. And I, and I say there's going to be some whole, wholesale changes. Um, you know, people will people will say, hey, you know, we've you know, we've made more money. Retailers have made more money. But the bottom line is probably not as good as it should be because those dollars have to be diverted to the more important areas of the business. You know, you're, you know, protecting yep. your frontline employees, cleaning your stores more often. And a lot of this is predicated on what we think the success is going to be of the Pfizer uh, and the Moderna vac- vaccines. And we just, we just don't know, you know, when are we going to achieve herd immunity? And now we're hearing in the UK, uh, the borders are being closed with the EU, Canada today, uh, the US likely today as well. Uh, there's a second strain of the COVID-19 um 
virus that is uh, a little bit more aggressive, not necessarily more dangerous, just a little bit more aggressive in terms of it, of its nature. I think all of the, all these things are shaping the industry. But if I if I was to look into my crystal ball, I would say retailers now are going to have to try to understand how to change the way that their stores are laid out to 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 create more effective shopping, a little bit more safety. You know, uh, you won't you won't use duct tape anymore. You won't you know to create lines on the floor. You won't. I think those will be factored into the design of, of the stores. But also, I think that when you throw e-commerce in and the, uh, the surge that it's seen, it's creating this 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 blurry line. And I'm not I'm not saying brick and mortar is going to disappear. Quite the contrary. I think retailers are going to have to embrace that blur. And that blur is going to be challenging. Now, we're seeing retailers who have doubled, tripled, quadrupled online sales. And they want to sustain it. And, and so they're going to have to start thinking what, what we do in the B2B world. We, we talk in terms of marketing funnels, sales funnels, content that helps create conversion. Yeah. You know, capture the customer in the buy cycle. And capturing the customer in the buy cycle now, it's not going to be at the store, at the shelf anymore. It is, but it's not the only place where you have to think in, in that sense. So when you start to look at your .com, you're going to start thinking about merchandising, points of entry, points of exit, yep. and uh, you know that incremental item in the basket. So if you know 50% of your traffic is going to your flyer page and they've bookmarked it and they're there once a week, you're going to put some items in there that are shoppable. Maybe it's a banner at the top that makes it easier to add something to the basket as opposed to not a static flyer. And some of the flyers that are out there, you can do add to cart, add to list, but that's not enough of an incentive. Um, so thinking in terms of conversion, thinking in terms of a marketing and sales funnel will become more critical. And it's going to be, I think, budget planning, when it's going to come down to marketing, it's going to be digital first, not digital second. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be re- it's going to be interesting. Now, so we've touched on 2021. Yeah. No, you've you've authored um, some some other uh, prognostications of, yeah. for the coming year. Do you want to go through those or mention? Yeah, those yeah, are? let's let's do it. Yeah, this is great. Well, this is why okay. we're doing this episode. Okay, super. All right. So number one is uh, reorganizing for safety first. Quickly, yeah. I think you've already you've already touched on that. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think if if you look at the fixturing that some of the retailers have done with plexiglass in between the aisles, or or yeah. you know when you're at checkout and and or uh, how people are coming in to pick up their groceries if it's a click and collect, and so on, I think that's going to be expanded, and that some of these things are going to become a mainstay forever. Cool. Number two, expand two way expansion of meal kits. So can you expand on that? Yeah, so so when the pandemic hit, a lot of people just kind of went, well, pre-pandemic, right? So Kroger and a bunch of other retailers made a very strong investment mm-hmm. in meal kits. And then you have the standalone ones, right? Like HelloFresh is a, is a great example. Uh, here in Canada, in this area, we have Live Fit Foods. We saw a lot of people just gravitate towards the meal kits because we didn't really know if uh, stores were going to close. Uh, grocery stores. Now, luckily, they yep. didn't. Yep. I think this is where the opportunity is going to be for retailers to kind of reinvent the whole meal kit process and recreate a, a resurgence for that. And I think for them, uh, it's it's a benefit for 
two two folds. One is the hot plate section of certain stores had to be closed because you don't want people that may be infected kind of touching the food. I think pre-kitting food in store for easy, quick purchase makes a tremendous amount of sense. And we're, we saw it in some of the in some of the uh, convenience stores in New York City right away that have this large lunch sections, right? Uh, so I right. think that's definitely there's going to be a resurgence of, of meal kits inside of retail. Cool. Uh, number three, making e-commerce more affordable. Well, so there's an interesting statistic in the United States pre-pandemic that 30% of the people don't have, I think it was close to 30% don't have qualify for a bank account. Uh, so we're seeing yeah. now over, I think over 70 million people that are using SNAP um, benefits. I think allowing those people to use not just SNAP EBT, but SNAP cash uh, online to buy their groceries makes a tremendous amount of sense. And I think we're, we're seeing that spread with Instacart and some of the other ones. Uh, I think the the USDA is just kind of catching up on this, and this this will become a mainstay period in the industry. Number four, improved accessibility of e-commerce. Yeah, we and which which is interesting because we're, we're sort mm-hmm. of a leader in this. Yeah, so we? yeah, no, we are because we we've always had access to a a, a fairly large group of visually impaired engineers. Um, that are part of our team that are supporting everything that we do. So when, when we build a mobile app, we're conceptualizing a mobile app or same same for uh, a web application for our retailers. Uh, we go as far as actually gauging the brand and the logo, the quality, the colors, and now what does it mean for, for ADA compliancy. Uh, we also have access to legal counsel that has a view for us on the next trends in, in ADA compliancy. And I, I can t- I can tell you that uh, watching our own call center flood with people over the age of seventy five, just trying to put a credit card in, uh, and have had a shopping list that was written by their children years ago, trying to to find those products online is very difficult for them. I think there needs to be a reimagining of how these things are done, uh, and enable and put more power and technology in the hands of seniors. It's it's not they don't know how to use technology. Um, I think it's a more of a question, how do you make the taxonomy of what you're trying to put out there uh, that much more intuitive and easier for them? And I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. So about three years ago, you know, we, we had prototype voice commerce. Yeah. Where do you think voice commerce is going to be this um, this year in 2021? Yeah. So, so again, I, I think to a certain, I hate to say this, but I think it's still um, a solution looking for a problem. Okay. And here's here's what I mean. Here's what I mean by that. When we uh, we did this really great prototype three years ago, uh, we unveiled it at an event in New Orleans, well received amongst the CIOs and CMOS that we had in in the room. But if you if I gauge what I'm doing today on on voila, I'm building a fifty to sixty item basket in under five minutes. <laughs> so say, say that again. I'm building a 50 to 60 yeah. item basket in under five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Simply, and it's simply because I've two, from when you buy online food, the first few times is, is brutal. The reason it's brutal is you have a mental map. This is where you have to understand human uh, ergonomics and, and the way the brain yeah. thinks, right? And, and engineers don't typically do this. And I'm not slagging our engineers. I'm just, that's just the reality of it. Um, when you switch online from in-store, you are mentally picturing yourself walking down the aisles. True, true. I do it. 
and you search and and if the search engine is good you you know you find it or then you start growing um, drilling down into those those sub menus on the side that are tree based which those aren't who cares? Like retailers, re- retailers are so excited. Oh my God, it's going to match our categories. No one cares about your categories. Like no one. It's not about you. It's about the customer. So forget that. Yep. And then you find yourself with the, with the laptop next to the refrigerator in the pantry, and you're kind of building that. But eventually, you've disconnected from that, and you understand. You now you you're honed in as yourself as an individual, and and you're buying online. And so five six minutes. The amount of data my eyes can take in, which I think is 250 gigs a second, the eyes take in visually. That has, there, there was somebody. For, I think you, you, you might be a little more advanced than the rest. No, of us. no, no. It's just like an MIT researcher who says, "I think, you know, I, really? I think, yeah, it's like you know, the the you know, periphery. It's about 250 gigs a second. So if you imagine if you had to do that with your your voice, right? So you would you would you know summon your device and you, you would say. Please add uh, a um, carton of milk, and then if you don't specify the brand, the size, the device should come back to you and say, "Did you mean? Did you mean? We also have on sale." Well, it's it's not efficient. So until you combine voice, your order history and some really good AI that can predict what you're going to go for. It's not going to work. Now, I will tell you, we've bought maybe $1,000 in Amazon gifts in the last two weeks. And there's there's an Amazon voice device in every room of my home because the home is fully automated. The lights, the TVs, the temperature, the whatever, right? I'm surprised it just doesn't make coffee for me in the morning or tuck me into bed at night. I've never used it to order anything. And I'm a technologist. So, 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 so Sylvain calling BS on voice commerce. I love it. Yeah. All right. Um, number five, uh, renewed. I think you've already touched on certain aspects of this, mm. but renewed emphasis on omni-channel. Yeah, it's it's an interesting prediction because I think that there is, you know, DoorDash is, is you know, just completed their IPO. Uh, we're seeing the pushing forward of the folks over at Uber, the expansion of Instacart, uh, and Shipt is in there somewhere. I'm not I'm not entirely sure where. Yeah. I think there's um, there's an awakening amongst the the grocers out there in the industry that are kind of thinking, I could have my cake and eat it too, and that's by pitting one against the other, the marketplaces against each other, they get the best rate because we you know. No one again, no one talks about this. You're going to pay 8 to 15 to 16% to one of these firms to use their service. And if you're selling at parity online versus in-store, it's out of your pocket. So you're in the hole. Right. You're in the hole. And the, all the ancillary revenue streams that they have. So I think there's this opportunity to go and leverage these marketplaces to your benefit, flood the space, so go where the masses are, get a cheaper rate, but still have this nucleus of control over what you're doing. And so this sense of omni-channel is going to be find the partners that are going to give you the distribution you need. So if you're in New York, Uber Eats makes a lot of sense, tons of coverage. If you're in the Valley, you know potentially that's where DoorDash, Instacart comes in. If you're in the Midwest, shipped. 
So I mean, I think there's this whole mixture of retailers are going to start to learn how to pit one against the other. And I, I, what I become, if I was one of those CEOs where I become very fearful is the more players you have in this space and the more retailers start to pit you against the other, you're just going to become commoditized because we already know that people you use, you're treating them as commodities. Give them hand sanitizer, give them benefits, give them a Christmas bonus. They're just numbers for you. It's sad. Yeah, it's a really interesting prediction, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Uh, <clears throat> number six, focus on securing online CPG ad dollars. Yeah, so this came out of a webinar that we attended um, where were those top top four CPGs in, in the U.S., uh, and I would go, I would say, uh, worldwide, quite frankly, Um we're treating a marketplace vendor as a as a as a customer as a client, right? Uh, yeah. And it was scary because it undermines a century old relationship that exists between CPGs and grocers. And I get concerned because that means those are dollars. Those are dollars that are no longer in the hands of retailers. And I think retailers now today that have that have achieved a level of online success that they historically would not have seen through their own properties need to figure out how to monetize their dot-coms and their mobile applications. And it, but also I think it's time to reinvent that relationship with the CPGs um, and the challenges that exist. I mean, Benjamin Lore talks about this in his book. I mean, the, the concept of slotting fees, trade, you know, trade dollars and kind of the list goes on this this relationship needs to be needs to change. You know, CPGs want to be successful as much as the retailer, but they need they need certain things to do that. Some retailers have been extremely hesitant in giving them the tools and the data that they need to be. Uh, but demand, demand, and demand, and demand to the point where it's very virtually impossible for the small local CPG to kind of get into the game. And when they do, they run the risk of being swallowed up. I think this really needs to fundamentally change. And and retailers can be successful in getting those digital dollars that they historically would not get. My thoughts is, you know, uh, this is the time to start building this because what I fear, and again, this is just a prediction, but uh, Google and Facebook are getting a tremendous amount of pressure from Congress. Uh, and it's only going to get worse. And there are now a lawsuit has been filed uh, from some of the states has been filed against Google. Now, I'm not surprised that these lawsuits are coming. The reality is some of these states are underwater so much in terms of budget dollars, it's very simple to go get a check from from Big Tech USA, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll get their check, they'll settle. Google will get something in their favor, they won't come back. But if I'm a retailer right now, and as uh, as this turmoil is happening and, and... CPGs are wondering where they're going to put their dollars with the fear that Facebook could be broken up or or something. Go get a partner, go after their, those dollars, monetize what you have. Awesome. And I think this um, also, you mentioned Google, uh, Facebook. What about Amazon? Because you know, I think our, our next uh, prediction is you, you've entitled it survival of the fittest. Yeah. So, so, if you look uh, at Amazon's uh, quarterly earnings, there's a, I think it's believed 17 to 24% of their cost of goods sold 
go into into shipping. So mm-hmm. and it's 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 evident, you know, even in my neighborhood, with the amount of deliveries that are coming in from Amazon. I think if if I'm Jeff Bezos right now, and I think everyone loves to say, if I was Jeff Bezos, I'd do this. Like, if I was, <laughs> you know, I told Jeff Bezos in an article two years ago he should buy Starbucks. He should buy Starbucks because it just makes sense. Why does it make sense? Because it's a great drop-off point for your for your uh, for the items to be delivered. And there's a Starbucks yeah. on every street, and they're everywhere. And they're, they're everywhere. everywhere. There's yeah. over four or five thousand of them, right? Yeah. So and it's a and it's and those two brands together make a lot of sense. I think now that the we know that there's a relationship with Spartan Nash that there's been millions yeah. in warrants that have been issued in favor of Amazon. I'm not going to predict what they're going to do with Spark Nash, but I think if I'm at Amazon right now, seeing the importance of food, seeing the the um, layout of the pandemic and their strategy, right, I would be accelerating much faster in terms of expansion and you know quickest way to to expand. I I will say that we will get a glimpse of what that's going to be once they open their first store east of the Mississippi. And that is a that is a play out of Sprouts Farmers Market's book years ago. The the industry analyst said Sprouts will be fine expanding in Texas, expanding anywhere they want, but where it's going to become really challenging for them is when they expand east of the Mississippi. And then that's when they hit Florida and and it's you know Sprouts hasn't slowed down. So when you see when they make that one decision to expand east of the Mississippi, and I'm not saying it's going to be New York City. Like, I don't think that makes necessarily sense for them. I think it's going to be the classic model, suburbia, so on. Retailers need to be even more worried at that point because that means they've are they are on the on the cusp or have figured out their logistics. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Do you, uh, this kid, number eight, the evolution of B2B commerce. Uh, so explain your thought here. And do you see Amazon getting more into B2B? Yeah, so I would say, so B2B, so I've had to revise my thoughts on this one. Mm-hmm. I think B2B makes sense. The The, the, the basket size is larger Frequency of ordering is a little bit lower, but it is the basket size. Basket size is larger, and if I look in our world, Amazon is used by our finance team and is used by our IT group for for replenishment of paper, you know, office products, um, rechargeable batteries, things things that IT people need not so frequently that you don't have to go to a specialty shop. And quite frankly. There, who's left out there that's a specialty shop for IT? You're not going to go to Dell for uh, Ethernet cabling. You're not going to go to, why would you go to Best Buy to buy USB cables? They're just going to be overpriced for no reason. So you go to Amazon, you can get choice, and it's, it's, it's less expensive. When it comes to food, B2B makes sense because if you look at, at, our, at our own office, and I, and I think it's the same for a lot of technology companies, you're calling the local provider, the guy likely that does your coffee, and he's delivering bananas, apples, and muffins, and whatever on a on a weekly basis. 
well, they have that exact same service if delivery is part of it from a grocer. Yeah, I get it. It makes sense. But the pandemic now, who's who's going into an office anytime soon? And quite frankly, if you can, cutlery, plates, coffee mugs are likely out of the question at this point until we can figure out something to, to, to be safe. I think this this idea of B2B will come back when we get a new sense of, of what we think will be the new normal. Um, yeah. So I'm changing my, my prediction on that one. Okay. All right. Uh, the rapid ro- adoption of automation, number nine. Yeah, I, I, I think this is inevitable. Uh, if I look at some of our retailers in the last little while are doing five to 8,000 transactions a day. Uh, that is double, triple, you know, early volume. That is a lot to handle. And uh, you just can't keep throwing more people at it. It's not economical. It makes no sense. I mean, you, you we've partnered with the right companies to be able to create some efficiencies in this space, whether it be, you know, zone picking, wave pink, picking, and so on, notification yeah. at the curbside. But I think there comes a point where if you have enough stores in the right cluster and you're sustaining more more than X number of transactions on a daily basis, automation behind one or two stores makes sense or moving everything into an automated warehouse. Uh, but what we don't know yet, what's the abatement going to be? What's the slowdown going to be? And if there's going to be one, I mean, I have to be mindful of the fact that at some point... Um, There'll be a bit of a regression, and we've talked about these numbers. They're available in our research, uh, the reports uh, for for download on our website. We don't know what that's going to be, but I, I, if I was a retailer, I would start looking at this. And and quite frankly, the cost of borrowing capital right now is is I know in Canada, anyways, it's extremely cheap. Yeah, and I, that gets to uh, prediction number ten, uh, which you've called revisiting strategy. Right. Retailers need to go back to basics here and understand what's their, what's, how are they doing with their operating model? Majority of the retailers that I've talked to don't have the sense of an operating model, don't have the sense of measurement, don't have the sense of KPIs. Yeah. You get financial reports at the end of a period. Fantastic. Great. Doesn't paint a picture. Doesn't tell you what your efficiency on pick is. Doesn't tell you what your substitute substitution rate is. Doesn't tell you the number of transactions that fail through a credit card check. And you have to look at everything. You have to take that in, and it and it is time to plot your course what your next eighteen to twenty four months are going to be. If not, you won't be ready. I would tell you, these are the types of things that are done at Amazon and are done at Walmart, and quite frankly, are done at the marketplace providers. That's why the CPGs are gravitating gravitating towards these companies. You're not doing it. Very critical that it be done. Awesome. Well, that um, that concludes our predictions for 2021. That is um, up. So I just want to say, yeah, I, I want to say Merry Christmas to you. Thank you to your family, uh, everyone uh, in our audience. Yeah, um, Happy holidays, and absolutely. Um, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed. 2021 is going to be on, starting off on a much stronger, happier notes for everyone. Yeah, and I, and I think it's uh, you know well said, Mark, and I think it's a great opportunity for for people just to take the holidays, to step back a little bit, enjoy your family and your friends, just let the negative thoughts of the pandemic just go, and you know be ready for twenty twenty one. And I 
take take it day by day. That's as, as the best advice that I can give uh, to anyone listening to this. And Mark, how do how do people get a hold of us? Right, easiest way is to go to digitalgrocer.com. Uh, follow us on our social channels at digitalgrocer and at digital underscore grocer on uh, Twitter. Um, and uh, we'd love to have your feedback, your your show ideas. Uh, and uh, that's the easiest way to do it. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Digital Grocer. We'll be back at you with a new episode in the new year. I think we'll have um, some interesting things to share with you. Peace. <laughs>